Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 17. We are continuing in our in our series on uh, First Chronicles, and we have been looking at the the age and era of Abraham, First Chronicles one twenty seven. Abram, the same is Abraham, and then in the remaining part of the chapter we get into the descendants and offspring of Abraham. Before we look at our, our text here in, in Genesis chapter 17, I, I just want to say by way of preface that there's certainly a lot more that could be said about God's dealings with Abraham. We've, we've touched on some things and uh, even some really important things that we are really passing over that that would have been worthy of whole sermons on their own right. You might think about, for example, um, the development in um, covenant theology, if you will, during the era of Abraham. In the Garden of Eden, the covenant of grace had been introduced to um, Adam and Eve, the promise of uh, salvation through Jesus Christ, a way of reconciliation so that God might be um, the God even of fully fallen human beings and that we might indeed be his people. But um, I'm sorry, the the uh, broadcast is doing something strange. I, I hope that I hope that everybody is uh, still there. But some important advances in the in the covenant in the the narrative of uh, Genesis 17, 17. Some of the things will continue that the administration of the covenant is going to uh, continue to be in terms of. Uh, believers and their children after them, as Peter will say, centuries, even millennia in the future, the promises to you and to your children afterwards. Something very precious happens at this time. Um, there, there had been sacrament before the era of Abraham. They were involved in sacrifices pointing forward to the uh, time of the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. Of course, we have um, we have an analog of this in, in the Lord's Supper. But now for the first time, we have a sacrament of uh, covenant initiation, as it were. We have uh, circumcision being applied to uh, the the infants and um, the covenant dynamic is uh, implicit with Adam and Eve 
it comes somewhat into the foreground with uh, Noah and the flood. There's been a lot of debate even among Reformed interpreters. Is that properly an administration of the covenant of grace? I think however you, however you cut it, it's certainly related in order for the promises of the covenant of grace to come to their fulfillment uh, in Jesus Christ. Uh, the context of the world of men needs to be preserved in order for that uh, to happen. So at the end of the day, whether or not it's properly contemplated as an administration, uh, I don't think matters too much because it certainly is uh, very, very closely related to it. It provides necessary context for its administration and for the fulfillment of its promises. But this, God's covenanting with, with Abraham, is certainly uh, in administration of uh, the covenant of grace, and now it has come um, expressly and explicitly into the foreground. And I use this just as an example. There's a lot that can be said about God's dealings with, with Abraham, and we can't do everything. We can only do uh, some things. But I do intend for us uh, this evening to begin to press on from, from Abraham to his uh, descendants in uh, 1 Chronicles one twenty seven, with this mention of Abraham. We really have reached a transition point in the, in the genealogy, and we'll take a look at that. But first, Genesis chapter 17. And when Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man-child among you shall be circumcised. And ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Every man-child in your generations 
He that is born in the house, or bought with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house, and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, Thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be, and I will bless her, and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell upon his face, and laughed, and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is an hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. And he left off talking with them, and God went up from Abraham. And Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all that were born in his house, and all that were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the selfsame day, as God had said unto him. And Abraham was ninety years old and nine when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. On the selfsame day was Abraham circumcised and Ishmael his son. And all the men of his house, born in the house, and bought with money of the stranger, were circumcised with him. This is the word of the Lord. Don't lose your place in, in Genesis 17, but flip forward with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 1. So you want to hold both places. Genesis 17 and 1 Chronicles chapter 1. If you can look at 1 Chronicles chapter 1 and, and scan down to verse 27. Well, if you back up to verse 24, you'll see that we have um, uh, a, a genealogy that descends vertically. So just in a straight line from, from Shem down to Abram. And then interestingly enough, um, the chronicler is pleased to tell us a little more. He tells us that Abram's name was changed to Abraham. He, he evokes 
the Genesis 17 narrative. Now, it's a it's a peculiar thing. You wouldn't think it's difficult, but um, the significant like the the transformation of the word actually has some some difficulties and nuances in it, probably more than you might than you might expect. There's been some debate about it, but in general, uh, it, it's pretty easy for us to glean the main significance of the change right off the top of it. Abram means something like great father. Uh, I wonder if Abram, who, who went so long childless, I wonder if he, if he thought about the significance of his name. We do know that, that Abram and Sarai desired children He's certainly got the name for it, and yet they were uh, childless into their old age. But God changes his name from uh, great father to Abraham, and in verses 4 and 5, you can see the significance of it. That's why I say we don't have to really do uh, difficult etymological work to know the significance here. Uh, verse 4, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. You see that repetition at the end of verse 4 and at the end of verse 5. Father of many nations. That's the significance of, of his name. It's, it's exceedingly fitting that the, the chronicler uh, lift this and in, include this in his genealogy because the whole rest of uh, chapter 1, uh, and really probably the rest of what's coming all together in, in all fairness, but you'll see immediately the structuring effect because Abraham was not uh, just the father of one nation, the people of Israel, but he was indeed the father of uh, many nations. So let's take a, a brief walk through this narrative and and observe. We will we'll deal with these, these people groups and in more detail in what's coming, probably not as much detail as what we've done for the um, the uh, pre-Abrahamic fathers, but uh, because less is known about these people, but, but we do know some things about at least some of them. So we'll, we'll be taking uh, a look at this. But pick up with me at verse uh, 28. What, what you'll notice, too, is peppered throughout until he gets back to Israel and is able to sustain a focus on Israel. Nevertheless, he's going to keep um, keep interjecting the godly line so, you, so that you really don't lose that thread. So we've got, in verse 28, the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Ishmael. And what, we, and what we just had in, in chapter 17, we were told that Ishmael would indeed be blessed as Abraham requested of the Lord, that he would be a great nation. 
So like Abraham himself, he would be a man with, uh, with many descendants, with, with many children. But the covenant was going to be established with Isaac. The promise of Messiah was going to come down into uh, Isaac's family. But as a father of many nations, uh, Abraham is also the father of the Ishmaelites. And so verse 29, these are their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael, Nabaoth, then Kedar and Ab Adbiel and Ibsam, Ishma and Duma, Masa, Hadad and Tima, Jeter, Nafish and Kedema. These are the sons of Ishmael. Now then you, you will remember that after the death of Sarah, uh, Abraham, in spite of his great age, did indeed uh, remarry and had a number of children from, from that uh, second marriage. Uh, she was a woman by the name of Keturah, and we pick up with that in verse 32. Now the sons of Keturah, Abraham's concubine, she bare Zimran and Jokshan and Midan and Midian and Ishbak and Shua. And the sons of jo and the sons of Jokshan, Sheba and Dedan. And the sons of Midian, Ephah and Epher and Hanach, and Abida and Eldaah, all these are the sons of Keturah. And then we're going to get, going to come back to the, to the godly line in another parting of the ways, verse thirty-four. And Abraham begat Isaac, the sons of Isaac, Esau, and Israel. When we get to this. Um, We'll come to um, those chapters in, in Romans 9 through 11. I'm, I'm very happy that Pastor Price has been, uh, has been touching upon uh, these things as well. But you will remember from those passages that, with, again, with respect to the covenant of grace, Jacob is chosen and Esau is passed over and rejected. But nevertheless, Abraham is the father of the the nation of the Edomites, and that is remembered here, verse thirty-five. The sons of Esau, Eliphaz, Ruel, and Jeush, and Jaalam, and Korah. The sons of Eliphaz, Teman, and Omar, Zephi, and Gatam, Kenaz, and Timnah, and Amalek. The sons of Ruel, Nahath, Zerah. Shama and Mizah, and the sons of Seir, Lotan and Shobal and Zibion and Anna and Dishan and Ezer and Dishan, and the sons of Lotan, Hori and Homam, and Timnah was Lotan's sister. The sons of Shobal, Elian and Manahath and Ebal, Shephi and Onam. And the sons of Zibion, Ei and Anna. The sons of Anna, Dishan. And the sons of Dishan, Amram and Eshban and Ithram and Cheran. The sons of Ezer, 
Bilhan and Zavan and Joktan, the sons of Dishan, Uz and Aaron. Now these are the kings that reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the children of Israel. Bela, the son of Beor, and the name of his city was Dinhabah. And when Bela was dead, Jobab, the son of Zerah of Basra, reigned in his stead. And when Jobab was dead, Husham of the land of the Temanites reigned in his stead. And when Husham was dead, Adad, the son of Bedad, which smote Midian in the field of Moab, reigned in his stead. And the name of his city was Avith. And when Hadad was dead, Samla of Masrika reigned in his stead. And when Samla was dead, Shaul of Rehoboth by the river reigned in his stead. And when Shaul was dead, Baal Hanan, the son of Akbor, reigned in his stead. And when Baal Hanan was dead, Hadad reigned in his stead. And the name of his city was Pai. And his wife's name was Mahadabal, the daughter of Matred, the daughter of Mazahab. Hadad died also, and the dukes of Edom were Duke Timnah, Duke Eliah, Duke Jetheth, Duke Aholabama, Duke Elah, Duke Pinan, Duke Kenaz, Duke Teman, Duke Midzar, Duke Magdiel, Duke Imram. These are the dukes of Edom. And it's after this, after having highlighted him as the father of many nations, um, the Ishmaelites, the offspring of Keturah, the offspring of Edom, that he's finally able to return to Israel. You see that at the beginning of the next chapter. These are the sons of Israel, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, Dan, Joseph, and Benjamin, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. So here we have um, um, the fulfillment of God's, God's promise to Abraham. This was a promise that's repeated to him uh, several times, beginning at a time when he was altogether childless, but he was promised that he would be the father, not just of one people and nation, as numerous as it might be, but that he would be uh, the father of many nations. And if we, if we might take a, like an evident practical use away for the right formation and disposition of our hearts, it would be, and I, I know that you, I know that you know this. I know that we're committed to this, but, but our culture certainly isn't. So it's worth, it's worth saying, and it's worth saying again and again, so that our commitment doesn't grow weak. Children are a, a blessing, from God. Um, our culture tends to treat them. Um, I mean, sometimes it will treat them as a blessing, but then sometimes it will treat them as like a financial drain or 
a near world-shattering inconvenience or, or some such thing. But in, in the Bible, they are universally portrayed to us as being a blessing. You might think about how this might, um, how God's promise to Abraham might, ha might have struck a, a modern American. Uh, I'm going to give you many children. I wonder, I wonder what percentage of Americans would recognize the great blessing in that. But it's, it's self-evident to the point of not even needing expression that God tells him that it's a blessing and that he receives it as such and desires it as such. And maybe, maybe just to um, meditate on this a little, and um, and share experience. I, I have noticed as I have um, as I've grown older how my own disposition toward this has has changed. Since um, Amanda and I began having children, if you had asked me if children are a blessing, I, I would have always said I would have always said yes. Uh, and they and they have been, but I can also say that um, that my perception and experience of that blessing has been changing. It's been deepening as I have aged. I have thought a lot about that about that little expression, the the child of his old age. I remember hearing that expression as a child. I heard heard it read. I read it myself in the Bible. <clears throat> and there was something that was curious about it. Like um like Jacob was Joseph's father, but in as much as he was the child of his old age, he, he was like his father, but um maybe in a grandfatherly kind of way. That's the way that it struck me. He there's a certain kind of there's a certain kind of softness, a certain kind of tenderness uh, toward it. Um, so, so at any rate, I, I, I always, I always esteemed my children as, as a, as a blessing. But I suppose you eventually reach a, a place where you recognize that that this stage in life is passing away very quickly. Life, I mean, life can do unexpected things, but generally speaking, life runs in one direction. And pretty soon this, this phase of life is going to be over. And so, um, and so the experience with the children becomes, uh, becomes all the more precious. I find that as a young man, the days spent with with the children were always looking forward. I've got to get them prepared for the future. And I still do that because that's part of the duty of each day. But each day has become uh, more and more an end in and of itself. Simply enjoying and 
delighting in them and living life with them well you know and i don't i don't want to go on preaching to the choir but maybe just just one other uh, observation and if you think it through you'll probably be able to think through probably a number of practical and concrete implications but just think of how many societal ills or maybe ills all the way from grand social ills to family ills to private ills would be remedied with just this one change in the disposition of the heart that that children are um, a blessing and not not an inconvenience much less a much less some sort of catastrophe or or curse um, since we are here at this uh, transition point from Abraham to that next generation of um, uh, Isaac and Ishmael and also I mean it, in some ways it's very fitting right because as I've mentioned Abraham when God says, I'm going to give you many children for Abraham, that's a, that's a good thing. He desires it. And yet, when the promise comes to him initially, he's 75 years old. Um, Sarah is 10 years younger than him. They are past the childbearing years. And they've been given a promise, and then 10 years later... Now he's 85 and she's 75, and they still don't uh, have a baby. And so turn turn back with me just one chapter to Genesis chapter 16. And we get another lesson from this from this period in history. Even with even with desirable things. Even when we're desiring good things, even the right things, the fulfillment of God's promises, we need to beware of uh, sinful shifts, the, the activation of unlawful means to try to make good things happen. Genesis chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. 
the Lord judge between me and thee. And Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And so on. So uh, Abraham and Sarah have been given a, a promise, the promise of children. When that promise first came, with respect to nature, they were already too old. It's 10 years late, later, and they are way too old. And uh, this is what, what the Puritans sometimes will call a sinful shift. They, they are looking for means to bring this great good about. And so um, they enter into this, this strange half polygamy that immediately brings them unhappiness, as all sins do, uh, brings a, a conflict in between Sarai and Hagar, between Sarai and Abraham himself. But then when we get into the next chapter, if you'll notice, it's still not the fulfillment of the promise. And uh, how difficult that must have been. I mean, there's blessing in it for, for uh, Abraham. The, the promise is going to pass to Isaac. It's going to go uh, through Sarah's line in particular. And there's blessing in that. But to hear expressly that he's not going to establish the covenant with with Ishmael, who obviously was was beloved by his father. Um, difficult things. And it didn't fulfill what had been promised, did it? Because he's not he's not the child of promise. They have a child, but but not the not the child of promise. Um, so we should ask ourselves just in a general way, this had to do with their, their great desire for children, which was, which was good, which was godly, self-evidently wholesome. They're looking for the fulfillment of uh, the promise of God, but even the desire for the good thing became an occasion for this uh, sinful shift. And so what is it that what is it that you desire? Of course, bad things are bad. Sometimes because bad things are bad, they're less beguiling in this way, but maybe even the good things, are we, are we seeking out sinful means? Are we becoming sinfully creative? in order to bring about the things that we are desiring. But even a good thing, and I hope that you'll think on this because it's worth thinking on, even a good thing, if you're willing to sin in order to get it or keep it, it has become an idol in your life. 
But in order for, for this to be worthwhile, we really need to think about our own desires, the things that we're really struggling after, striving after, hoping, dreaming. Um, we should be studying only lawful means for the securing of, of those and, and then simply trust God when we get tempted by sinful things to make these good things happen, we should remember Abraham and the conflict that it, that it introduced into his household. And if I might just make one um, application for, for us corporately, we certainly desire to see um, the church flourishing desire to see our uh, congregations flourishing. We want to see our congregational houses, as it were, filled with children. And this is another kind of children. Good to be uh, desired. But I have seen it over and over and over again as there's a desire that the ecclesiastical house be filled with children. Um, there's the temptation of sinful means to try to get that accomplished. There's a good thing that's desired. Even, even something that has been promised because we know that we are headed toward a better day when the Lord's house, when we think about congregations, the Lord's houses, the Lord's houses will be full but one of, I guess one of the great temptations when it comes to this is compromise. When the Lord's truths are distasteful and off-putting uh, to people because of, because of sinfulness, when, his, when the practices of his worship and their holiness are perceived as being too restrictive and constrictive the temptation becomes well let's let's fill the house by compromise all kinds of techniques can be used to fill a building maybe we can we can dabble in some of those but at the end of the day just as it was in Abraham's house this is this is no way uh, to be happy and you can indeed fill a room in all kinds of ways, but that doesn't necessarily make it Christian growth. And uh, it certainly doesn't mean that it's going to be healthy in any kind of way. So um, we need to seek, pursue, and study the lawful means that God has given us. We need to be uh, zealous and industrious in the application of the means that the Lord has given us for multiplication. Um, but we need to be careful not to, uh, not to compromise. And if I might just say one final thing, um, I, do, I do think we need to uh, so frequently I don't know, we, we get kind of goofy and weird and we, 
try to start designing programs where if we were just living lives directed towards others and love, I suspect we'd have so many opportunities we wouldn't know what to do with them all. But if we live lives that are directed towards others and love, we will have many opportunities to uh, share the gospel. And when our when our lives are, are filled with those kinds of things, uh, when God's time comes, we will have done all that we can do, probably about all that we should do as individuals for for the ultimate filling of uh, the Lord's the Lord's house, we might find it. We have more work on our hands than than we know what to do uh, with. But uh, during during lean times, there can be strong inclination to to compromise. So let us remember the lesson of Abraham and his uh, household, and remember what God has has promised concerning the multiplication of ecclesiastical children and trust him, thus limiting ourselves only to the lawful means. Let us pray together. <laughs>